our Old Scripture, our Old Testament Scripture today. It's taken from Leviticus 20, verses 22 to 26. You can find that on page 126. Let us pray. Father, first of all, I want to thank you for this privilege to listen and to read your words. And we pray that as we do this, your Holy Spirit will open our ears and our heart so that these words can change our life. Amen. You shall be holy. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I'm driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, You shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Thank you, Hugh. What motivates you? What is it that motivates you? What is it that drives you to do the things that you do? In 1943, Abraham Maslow wrote a paper entitled, A Theory of Human Motivation. In it, Dr. Maslow explained that we all have a basic hierarchy of needs. His theory of motivation has been illustrated by this triangle we're going to show you here. You can see at the bottom there's the physiological, safety, love, esteem, and self-actualization. His point is that unless our most basic needs are met, we can never move up to self-actualization until our physiological needs of food and and sleep and, and water are met, we will never move up to the next level. Safety, of course, includes shelter and financial security and personal safety. Once our needs for safety are met, then our greatest need becomes love or belonging. And uh, we usually seek this from our friends and loved ones or our our parents. And then after our basic need of love is met, then we have a desire for esteem. And, of course, esteem is knowing that our, our, our contribution, that we're able to make a contribution to culture, that what we're doing makes a difference. And that we, of course, the key to having esteem is being, as having self-esteem. Then once we have all these needs met, then we move to self-actualization. We're where ultimately our greatest uh, desire is met in helping others and ultimately living and serving for a greater cause. Where are you on Maslow's hierarchy of needs today? Are your physiological needs met? Have your safety needs been met? Your love needs? Have they been met? Your esteem needs? Are you living into your self-actualization stage of life today? 
Reminds me of a story. There was a, a man who was down on his luck. He had lost his job. His unemployment checks had run out. He was desperate to find work. And a friend of him said, told him, you know, there's actually a job, I understand, of some sort at the zoo. You should go and apply. Well, this man named Joe knew nothing about animals, but uh, he thought, I'm desperate for work. I'll do whatever it takes. And so he goes to the zoo, and he meets the zookeeper. And the zookeeper says, well, we only have one job available. You see, our gorilla recently died, and he was the most popular animal and attraction at the zoo. And so what we need you to do is to don on a gorilla suit and act like a gorilla until we get a new gorilla. Well, Joe was desperate for work, so he said, sure, I'll do anything. And so Joe put on the suit, and he began to dance around like a gorilla, and he kind of got into it, and he started eating bananas and making all kinds of gorilla noises, and he began to swing from vines. And one day, he was really getting into his role as a gorilla, and he got on the vine, and he flew with such energy that he actually flew out of his own uh, enclosure into the lion's den. Joe froze. He began to freak out. And he quickly made his way to the gate, to the door of the lion's den. He began to cry out, saying, someone help me, please, please help me. Well, the lion, with with cat-like reflexes, ran and pounced on Joe and got right in Joe's ear and said, quiet, buddy, or you're going to get us both fired. (laughs) Things aren't always the way they seem, are they? As we continue our journey through Galatians this morning, we'll see that the apostle Paul challenges Peter to stop his hypocrisy, to stop his play acting, and start behaving with the consistency that reflects the transforming power of the gospel of grace. As we continue our sermon series entitled, The Gospel Changes Everything, this morning we will see how the gospel ultimately changes our sense of self and ultimately what it is that motivates us. Please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. 11 to 21. It may be found on page 1236 of your pew Bible. Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Listen to the word of the Lord. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For the law, through, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. 
Holy Spirit, please speak through me, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Can you believe that? Can you believe that Peter and even Barnabas began to separate themselves from the Gentile Christians when Jewish Christians from Jerusalem appeared? As we talked about last week in our message on Galatians 2, verses 1 to 10, Paul tells the story of his second missionary trip to Jerusalem right after his, after his conversion. It was 14 years after his conversion. When Paul visits the other apostles in the mostly Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem, Paul makes a point to bring Titus with him. Now, Titus, of course, was a, was a Greek. He was uncircumcised. And, and the apostle Paul wanted to see how these Jewish Christians, these pillars of the faith, these original disciples like Peter and, and John, how they were going to treat uh, Titus, an uncircumcised follower of Christ. As he pointed out last week, Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem do not require Titus to be circumcised, but they receive Titus as a brother in Christ, for that's what he is. Regardless of his Gentile ethnic background, Titus, because of his faith in Christ, is now a brother in Christ. And so the, the Jewish leaders of the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, uh, receive Titus as a brother in Christ. But in our text this morning, Peter and even Barnabas begin to remove themselves from fellowship with Gentile Christians in Antioch when Jewish Christians from Jerusalem show up. What happened? Well, when Peter initially visits the mostly Gentile church in Antioch, Peter eats with the other Gentile Christians, and he treats them as family members, as brothers and sisters in Christ, which is what they are. However, when some other Jewish Christians arrive in Antioch, Peter distances himself from the Gentile Christians because according to Mosaic law, Jews were supposed to live separately. They were supposed to eat separate foods, as Hugh just pointed out. Separate fruits from what the Gentiles would eat. The Jews believed that they were holy, set apart by God, and so they should separate themselves from other people whenever possible. As Paul tells us in verse 12 and 13 of our text, For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, the Greek word for hypocrisy here literally means to play a part. It was the word that would be used to discuss Greek actors who would put on a mask to play a part. Paul is saying that Peter has been playing a part. He's not been living according to his true self, according to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. As I shared just a moment ago in my joke about Joe, Joe put on a costume to to act like a gorilla because he could get money. What would prompt Peter to put on a mask, to act differently than what he truly was? What would prompt Peter to act hypocritically? What is it that often motivates us to act hypocritically? Well, according to verse 12 of our text, Peter was motivated to act hypocritically because he feared the circumcision party. Fear of judgment and rejection can often motivate us to act hypocritically, can it? 
Whenever we fear the judgment of others, we can be tempted to act in a way that is contrary to who we really are. As you know from last week, Peter knew that through faith in Christ, uh, through faith in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles are equal in the eyes of God. That's why Peter does not insist on Titus becoming circumcised and becoming like a Jew. Peter knew that the gospel of grace was for everyone. In fact, Peter in Acts 10 has a vision from God. And and in that vision, it's made very clear to him that that God has made all things clean. And then he meets a centurion named Cornelius. And Cornelius comes to faith and Peter's eyes are open to realize that, that the gospel of grace is for Gentiles, not just Jews. And in our text this morning, Peter removes himself from the Gentiles once the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem show up because Peter is afraid. They may judge him. Peter is afraid that eating with Gentile Christians may somehow hinder his ministry among the Jewish Christians. Peter is allowing the opinions of others to dictate his actions. And the truth is, if we're not careful, we can do the same. We can allow the opinions of others to dictate our actions. In our consumerist culture today, We are regularly being told what to wear and what to drink, what to eat and what to drive and where to go. All of us desire social acceptance. None of us want to have enemies or be rejected. So sometimes we do things and say things in order to fit in. When I was a young boy, I actually began cursing at an early age so that I could seem cool and fit in. In my adolescence, my first beer, which did not taste good, but I had it because it was hot. I don't know what I was thinking. But I wanted to fit in. So that I could be like the other boys who were drinking hot beer on a hot summer day. Bad choice. Even as adults today, we do things to fit in. We we may not want to openly admit it, but the fact is we're, we're tempted to do things to fit in. But as followers of Christ, we know that Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul tells us, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do all of our words give grace to those who hear? Are we sometimes tempted to poke fun at others along with the crowd or to make jokes that are demeaning to others? When we hear someone speaking negatively about another person, do we chime in? Or do we simply nod with approval so that we can fit in? How often are we guilty of of just going along with the crowd, sometimes saying things that we know is not right, that doesn't honor God, and yet we hear these things and we say nothing so that we might keep the peace. We just let it slide. You know, one of the best ways to stop gossip is to never contribute to it and to ask the person speaking if he or she has ever talked to the person they're talking about. Someone comes up to us and says, can you believe what Joe said? And before we get into what Joe said or what things about Joe, we might ask them, well, have you talked to Joe about what he said? Have you had a conversation with him? If what he said really bothers you, you probably ought to meet with Joe. People will quickly learn not to come to you with their gossip or their complaints when you do this. Because we don't want to get caught up in gossip. We certainly don't want to start treating people differently based on what other people say about them, do we? Peter was so concerned about what the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem thought and what they said about these Gentile Christians that he began to stop hanging out with the Gentile Christians so that he could win the Jews' approval. 
Sadly, Barnabas, even Barnabas, who had traveled with Paul on many missionary journey, on his first missionary journey and helped uh, plant churches among Gentile Christians in Galatia, even Barnabas began to follow Peter's lead in Antioch. Thank the Lord that the Apostle Paul had the courage to stand up and to challenge their hypocritical behavior. What gave Paul the courage to do what was right and to confront Peter in his hypocrisy? I mean, wasn't Paul concerned just a little bit about what Peter would say and what others would say if if he stood up to Peter? I mean, Peter was the rock in which Jesus was going to build his church. It took a lot of courage for Paul to, to challenge Peter to his face in front of so many people. What was it that gave Paul such incredible courage? After all, Peter was the one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was the rock, Cephas, that Jesus was going to build his church on. Shouldn't Paul care that a public rebuke of Peter could lead to his own rejection by others? Well, as you read through the epistles of Paul, you'll quickly learn that Paul doesn't really care a whole lot about what other people think, does he? (laughs) In Galatians chapter 1, that we read a few weeks ago, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, the apostle Paul sarcastically uh, says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now let's think about the Apostle Paul's life just for a moment. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew among Jews. He had exceeded many among his own age. He was connected to the, to the synagogue. He was connected to all Jews. And then he was blinded on the road to Damascus while he was trying to go kill Jews. And in that blinding conviction of Christ gave to him, his life was forever changed. And he became a follower of Christ. He began to plant churches facing not only rejection by Jews, but ultimately persecution by Jews, where he was flogged and stoned and left for dead in places like Lystra. Yes, if Paul was seeking the approval of man, he wouldn't be a servant of Christ, now would he? When we make the commitment that we're going to be a servant of Christ, then we can't be worried too much about what other people think. We have to make choices according to Christ not according to social concerns. Are we trying to please Christ today? Or are we trying to please man? The reason that Paul was able to stand up to Peter, Barnabas, and all the other Jewish Christians in Antioch is because Paul's primary motivation, motivation was not driven by what others thought of him. Paul's primary motivation was Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The gospel of grace has changed Paul's sense of self. Paul no longer lives for himself and his own self-righteousness. Paul now lives for Jesus Christ. And his greatest desire, his greatest motivation is to do that which Christ calls him to do. Through the gospel of grace, Paul could see that he had already been accepted by God through what Jesus had done for him. The gospel of grace had helped Paul see that he was justified by faith and not by works of the law. As Paul states in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
If we try to be justified by the works of the law, we will only find condemnation because the reality is no one, not one of us, can fully obey the law of God. We have a sinful nature that, left to itself, it's prone, is prone to wander from God's law. And according to the epistle of James, chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, if we break just one law, then we're a lawbreaker, condemned by the law. It's the law doesn't bring salvation. The law brings an awareness of sin. The law brings an awareness of our need for a Savior. Because no one could fully obey the law. Fortunately, there was one. There was one who was able to obey the law perfectly. Fortunately, there was one who was able to do what we could never do for ourselves. Fortunately, there was one who lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. And so he served us by dying on a cross for our sins so that our sins could be reconciled. So that we could be reconciled to God once and for all. So that our sins could be atoned for through his perfect obedience and sacrifice. As Paul knows that we are justified, made right with God by faith in Christ. Not by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. Because our justification is ultimately dependent upon what Jesus has done for us. Not what we need to do. And we receive this gift simply through faith. You see, our God is a God of love. But he's also a God of justice. As we stand before God's judgment seat, we will all be found guilty of sin. As Romans 3.23 tells us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the just punishment, the right condemnation for our sin is, is condemnation. It's separation from God. But God loves us too much to leave us in our sin. And he demonstrates his great love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that our sins could be atoned for once and for all. Now we receive the gift of God's grace and become justified in God's eyes by simply receiving that sacrifice through faith. Of course, as we look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, we can see that believing in Jesus, putting our faith and trust in Jesus, means that we also must be willing to die to ourselves. We must be crucified with Christ, as the Apostle Paul declares. We must declare that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, and therefore crucify ourselves and seek to have Christ live in and through us. Saving faith means that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. And Christ becomes the great motivator of our lives, as Jesus Christ, through faith, now lives in us. As we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs again, look at that wonderful triangle, we can see that Jesus really meets all of our needs, doesn't he? Every time we say a prayer before a meal, we're recognizing that all that we have is a gift from God, the food that we have as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Through Jesus, God is helping meet our physiological needs, and as Jesus reminds us, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. As we seek safety and security, we find that in Jesus who promises that he'll be with us and never leave us nor forsake us. As we seek love and belonging, we find that in Jesus, who tells us that there is no greater love than this than a man who is willing to die for his friends. As we seek esteem and a desire to know that what we're doing in this life is actually making a difference, as we seek respect, we find that in Jesus, who loves us and has a plan for us, who's commissioned us to go and make disciples. As we seek self-actualization to fulfill all that God has called us to do, we find that in Jesus, 
who has equipped us by his Holy Spirit to do various works of his kingdom, who, who has called us to go and make disciples, who has called us to be salt and light so that others may see our good deeds and give praises to our Father who is in heaven. Yes, in this self-actualization stage, we seek to live for someone greater than ourselves, as Paul did. And when he's been crucified with Christ, he no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. The life he lives in the body, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. When we center our hearts and minds around Jesus by having a running conversation with him throughout the day, we won't be so easily led astray by the demands or judgments or the opinions of others. And Christ will begin to move in and through us. As John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, wrote many years ago when commenting on Galatians 2, 2 uh, verses 19 to 20, talking about Paul, he says, He does not live by his own life, but is animated by the secret power of Christ, so that Christ may be said to live and grow in him. For as the soul enlivens to the body, so Christ imparts life to its members. It is a remarkable sentiment that believers live out of themselves. That is, they live in Christ which can only be accomplished by holding real and actual communication with him. How much time do we spend talking to Jesus each day? Paul tells us that we should pray continually. We should pray in constant, have constant prayers and petition. Through prayer, we should have a running conversation with Jesus so that like the Apostle Paul, the only voice that we really listen to throughout our day is the voice of Jesus calling us and showing us how to live and how to love and how to serve others. The next time we find ourselves worrying about what other people think, let's just take a moment and ask ourselves and ask Jesus what he thinks. And then like the Apostle Paul, we may may be able to see that it's his opinion, it's the only opinion that really matters. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you have made yourself known to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that the gospel of grace is for everyone. So God, I pray that we might be people of grace, that we might extend grace to everyone we come in contact with. And Lord, we may not concern ourselves with what the world says or what others say, but we might, more than anything, listen to what you have to say. As we read your word, as we pray constantly with you and talk to you throughout the day, Lord, may you guide us and lead us, Lord Jesus. May you speak to us that we might hear from you and know exactly what you would have us do so that you might receive all the glory. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.